Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Mornings with Carmen, except of course it is mornings without Carmen on this Monday morning, the 13th of December. This is Dr. Peter Kapsner. Delighted to be joined by all of you as part of the Faith Radio family. Sure enjoy starting our day together like this with you and of course with uh, faithful and good and Jesus-like friend in studio, Paul Perot, the producer of the show. Paul, great to see you this morning. Try to be. Try to be, be, indeed. So Carmen was scheduled to be off this week anyway because she was finishing up a project, so she asked me to fill in for her for a week. But uh, interestingly enough, with with just the devastation in the southern parts of the United States with the tornadoes that went across uh, Kentucky in particular, and I know that one of the tornadoes is on the ground for some 227 miles, which is wow. just an absurd that is a length for yeah. a tornado to be on the ground. Well, she was also impacted where she is in Tennessee. I know you three of us were texting over the weekend about the impact that it had in her neck of the woods. She lost some 40 trees over 20 acres, and mm-hmm. it's just debris, 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 and they don't have power. So even if right. she was scheduled to do the show today, she could be pretty hard. Yeah. So the top of the second hour, Carmen is going to call in, give us a little a bit of a ground level view of what we're seeing down there. Looking forward to hearing from her. But up first in hour one, in just a minute, we're going to talk with regular friend of the show, Dave Buren from Who's Lyme. also living in the Nashville area. He is. So we'll get see if he was impacted <laughs> at all. I was in Nashville just a couple weekends ago in a great town that that is. And Dave joins the show regularly to talk about different parts of our discipleship journey from Lion Share Ministries. And Paul, we're in... Uh, Luke 13, and discipleship really does intersect with this chapter in the book. One of my favorite parts of Luke 13, as we're reading our way through scriptures during this Advent season, is the parable of the mustard seed and the yeast. Mm-hmm. And I won't read the entire thing, but uh, there, there's this idea of God's kingdom that it just starts in so many places as this little seed. Uh, the mustard tree ultimately was a pretty large tree in, in the country of Israel, but it started just with the seed. And I love that idea of when you plant a seed— then it grows and grows and grows and grows and grows. And and sometimes that seed that you plant, I mean, think about how long a tree takes to grow. It can take 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 100 years until it gets to its full length. And it actually never really stops growing at the end of the day. Hallie and I built a house maybe seven years ago, and we planted these little trees, and now they're huge. And, And the point of all of that is sometimes our discipleship journey just feels like, Oh, we're just doing one thing. It's just a small thing. You don't see thing. the change. You don't really see the change. And, and I think, unfortunately, sometimes in American culture, and I know my young people that I teach week in and week out feel this way, they've got to do something big for God. They've mm-hmm. got to develop these big ministries, and it's somehow all on them. But the kingdom's a generational play. Right. And we're meant to just plant the seeds as we do. And then, you know what? We will rise and fall in our time, and then we just the kingdom just keeps going from there. Yeah. Actually, okay, I was on a trip last month down to Honduras to uh, view the work of a group called One Child. Mm. And we'll be talking more about them next month here on, on Faith Radio. But the idea, you know, Honduras is a place, beautiful country, but also so broken. It is. How do you bring change into that? And you're thinking, oh, we got to elect the right leaders. Uh, no, that's not working <laughs> that too well. That hasn't worked out terribly well, yeah. The idea 
of the one child is changing the lives of children, mm. starting at that seed level. And it doesn't look big on the start, but the hope is you're planting these seeds of hope. You're planting the gospel in these in these children. You're loving on them, and they hopefully will be what changes that culture from the ground up, starting as a small seed, but growing. Yeah, that's exactly right. So we encourage you as you're waking up this morning, joining us for this part of the show, what is the, what is the seed that you maybe have planted that you just want to keep watering day in and day out? What is the seed that you might be able to plant? We don't need to do big, gigantic things for God. We just need to simply head out into the field and sow those seeds. And Dave Buring is just the right kind of person to continue that conversation with us. We'll talk about the discipleship journey and God's father heart as we're on it up next on Mornings Without Carmen. Welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Peter Kapsner filling in for today. In the next few days, as Carmen is out of the office, as it were, finishing up a project that she's long been working on. And we're joined here at the top of this hour by a regular friend of the program, Dave Buring, who talks about the discipleship journey and is part of lionshare.org. It's a ministry that I'd recommend going to, to just be a little bit more equipped in our discipleship journey. Good morning, Dave. Good morning, Carmen. Your voice is a, a little deeper today. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I, I have a, I have a virus, Dave. I have a virus, so it's just you know, it's, <laughs> really it's impacted the pipes. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> so, Paul was telling me that you're in the Nashville area. Uh, did you get impacted at all by these storms? Were you kind of peripheral to them, or how was your experience there? Yeah, we live in Franklin, and and we were um, kind of the outskirts of it got hit. And uh, you know, the big thing here in Nashville, lots of beautiful trees, and so. Trees toppled in a lot of different places, but most of it was a was about oh seven eight miles north of us and beyond. So we just kind of got the a little bit of it. But um, it's amazing to see, like in my brother's yard in the very back, one of those trees that gets toppled so much so that it's flat, and all you see is the whole root system, mm. you know, coming out of the ground. It just reminds you how powerful that stuff is. Yeah, well, I would love for you to just use that as an example. I mean, I, I love what Jesus did day in and day out, as he just took from regular life situations like this and, and created parables from them. And, he, mm-hmm. and you think about the need for that deep rootedness. This is part of the discipleship journey, right, is we're, we're meant to be rooted yeah. deeply within God's kingdom so that we can stand there anchored in the midst of the storms. Yes, it's really true. And I, I think one of the things that I'm finding is that how we view God impacts everything, Peter. It, it, especially when we're going through challenging times, it's the thing we've got to stand on. He's either present, caring, loving with us, or he's not. And I love in this season how uh, Luke reminds us, Emmanuel, mm. God with us. It's awesome. Yeah, indeed. And, and part of a series, and I enjoyed my listening to to you on Vimeo here as, as I was traveling in this morning about the father heart of God. And, and then you mm-hmm. said to me off the air, the idea that how we think about God really does impact our day-to-day life. So why don't you just take us into this idea of the father heart of God and what we see during this time of year where God's heart was expressed in sending his own son, condescending to earth, becoming flesh and dwelling among us. Yeah. So I think, you know, we, we all know the story. Christmas story. We've heard it, you know, repeatedly our whole lives. But oftentimes I think we we don't pause to recognize we're dealing with, let me say it this way first, real people, 
you know, the, there's a real Mary and a real Joseph and a Zechariah and Elizabeth and a and the shepherds and the wise men and Anna and Simeon and all these people, these characters of Christmas, and they are very real people. They impacted the things of life just like we get things impacted in life. When When, you know, Joseph had a little itch on his nose and he, he moved his hand away from holding Jesus's head up, Jesus's head dropped, you know, I mean, it's like all that stuff is very, very real. And, and when we, when we step back, we have to also remember that there was this dynamic in the Trinity, which this gets into some, some awesomeness and holiness. And, but, but could you imagine the moment that Jesus, the son left, and we don't even really know what all this looks like, but left the father and the Holy Spirit to come in the form of a baby. And when Jesus was here, he was 100% God and 100% man, the incarnation. And, and, but imagine what that would have been like for God the Father, who had always been with the Son and the Spirit, and to realize that he sent his Son and he did it because of his love for us. Mm. It's an amazing, amazing thing. Yeah, I, we've been reading as a family, especially with my three youngest kids, this, it's a little bit of an older series from Calvin Miller as the author, and it's called The Singer and the Song and the Finale. And The mm. Singer is the opening tale about the Word becoming flesh. And Calvin Miller does such this great job. He calls God the Father, the earth maker, and the Son, the troubadour of life. And, and mm. he, he takes us into sort of this poetic account of what it was like when the troubadour and the earth maker decided, as you just said, out of love to come and rescue Terra or what they describe as earth. And he just tells it in such a beautiful way that I think helps us see the father heart of God in love. And I think one of the things many people deal with, Dave, and, and maybe you found this over the years in ministry too, is that there's misrepresentations about God. And, and I'm not always sure the origin of them. I don't know if there's just theological origins or perhaps you're part of a church which just didn't teach the, the view of God that's faithful to the scriptures. What have you seen with some misrepresentations that are different than the Father heart of love for us? Yeah, and I, I think the starting point for a lot of people is just really practical. It's like um, we're born into a home, there's mom, there's dad, and you know there are authority figures, and they're bigger mm. than us. They're bigger than life in a lot of ways when we're that little one-year-old, two-year-old, three-year-old. And Oftentimes I have found that that, you know, when it comes to the practical part of fleshing this out in people's lives, that they've had this imprint since they were little little, whether it was with dad and mom, whether it was with a coach or a teacher, but but authority figure or some authority figures in their life, that they assume God is a big one of that. Yeah. And and therefore if there's not care, if there's not love, if there's not actual interest. Um, in someone's life. I think, I think some of the things around God that we can wrestle with is, is he loving? Is he present and attentive? Did he actually create me uniquely for a purpose? And of course, all those answers from the scripture is a big, loud yes. But if our, if our experience has been that we've had authority figures in our lives that have not been caring, have not been loving, have not met needs, whatever the case may be, and instead actually have been abusive or absent or authoritarian, that subtly translates into our minds. And that's where the awesome thing is, there's the Bible where God says, let me show you myself what I'm really like. Mm. Yeah, I've heard, Dave, that uh, psychologists often say, Christian psychologists will say that oftentimes a, a child's first 
perception of who God is is how they see the face of their own parents and yes. their lives. And, and there can be that can be a really powerful and good thing as a shepherd, and it can be a really difficult thing. And you just said something that I think important. I want to go back to this after we step away for a short break. And and that is that the, the Bible obviously anchors us, but if we've had experiences with our parents, sometimes we also need personal experiences with God to teach us something different. Yes. So when I come back, I want to ask you what is maybe the closest personal example you can think of to try to describe the heart of God the Father. We're talking with Dave Buren this morning as we're getting started on Mornings Without Carmen. I'm Peter Kapsner filling in for today. Stay with us. More to come in just a moment. How deep the Father's love for us How vast beyond all measure Welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Peter Kapsner filling in for today and we're chatting with Dave Buren from lionshare.org who's a regular friend of the show. Talks with us often about the discipleship journey, the rigors of it, and, and growth within it. And Dave, we've been talking about the Father's heart for us this morning, especially during this time of year. You had said before the break that that reimagining God's heart through the lens of the truth of Scripture when we've had a difficult time maybe with parents or, or just other situations in which we don't necessarily see God's heart with great clarity. There's a series of verses that you provided for me this morning, things like he is a generous uh, and giver of gifts, Matthew 7. When he disciplines us, it's out of love and not anger. He gives us the desires of our hearts. He has made us heirs. He is crafting us for special purposes. All of these things are so worth mm-hmm. meditating on, but so is personal experience with God. God actually might, dare I say, be real. And, and if mm. God is real, God is accessible, and he does intersect in our lives in, in mysterious, though very real ways. So why don't, why don't you tell us about maybe some experiences or a experience you've had that helped shape mm. your idea of who God is? Yeah. Yeah, I just want to affirm what you just said to Peter. It's like, if you can just take your Bible, take like a favorite color pencil, and just as you're reading it, highlight with that pencil, underline it or kind of color over it so these aspects of who God is really stand out to you because he wants to show himself to you. Mm. One of the things for me when you asked me about my own journey, you know, and I I, I always come back to this one is right at the top of the heap is is the day. So I'm playing softball. I'm living in Kona, Hawaii. Cheryl and I have been married for about a year and a half. And... um, the game ends. I had played good in the tournament, got an, an award for it. When the, when it was over, Cheryl, I'm, I'm waiting to see where Cheryl is because she's sitting in the bleachers and she's not there. But instead, there's a friend of ours comes running up to me, this Hawaiian girl, wide eyed. Dave, Dave, it's time. Your baby's coming. <laughs> and, and I look at Cheryl, you know, the eyes are big. And so we we get out of there and we get up to the hospital. And, and just about six hours later, our our son Ryan is born. And I, I won't forget, you know, I'm in kind of my scrubs they had me on. I'd watched him be born. And, you know, they they clipped the umbilical cord. And then the nurse looks at me. She's got this little boy in her arms who's now minutes old. And she says, Dave, come with me. And so we walk out of the room and we go into this other room where she had already put some water with the big yellow spongy thing in the little sink. <laughs> and she gives him to me and she says, just give him a bath. And she leaves. And like, I mean, he's five minutes old and it's me and him. <laughs> and, and I had this moment, Peter, that was, was awesome. And the weight of it, of being a father, but, but that didn't dominate. What it was, was the privilege and the joy. And I remember setting him into that little you know, lukewarm yellow cushion, so to speak, and begin to wash him and to clean him. And I remember saying to him, your name is Ryan David Buring. And I want you to know that I will love you every day 
of your life. And I want you to know that I'm with you. And when things get hard, I will not leave. And when things are joyful, I will be there. And, and all this just came flowing out of me because in that same moment, I was having that, if I can use the word revelation, meaning just God revealing in a fresh way to my heart, that very same thing for me. That he's always been there. That like at my first breath, he was there. The first coup he heard, the first step I took, that he's always been with me and has always cared about me, has wept when I've wept, has laughed when I've laughed, has gone ahead of me to provide and protect me. And I, I think I think as parents, for those listening that may already have a child, if you can kind of get away from the intensity of whatever may be the moment right now and get back to that tender place of recognition that just as we have heart for our kids, God's heart is gazillion times more for us. Yeah, Dave, as you're telling that story, I got some chills just at the idea of the tender-hearted nature of the Father for us. And, and I say often, and I'm sure you've experienced it, and many, many of our people, part of our Faith Radio family, have experienced it as well, that it doesn't mean that we're going to be not subject to difficult things in life. We're going to have difficult yeah. things in our life, but the tender heart of God as, as a compassionate father means he's going to stay with us. And that promise that you made in those five first five minutes of Ryan's life to, to say, I will be there for you regardless of what comes. This, this really is representative of God's heart. Yes, it is. And, and, you know, my son is now 38 and, mm. you know, and it's, uh, he lives about 20 minutes away and, and that extends now to, to his wife and to his two kids and, and, um, you know, I think we just have to realize that I like the word that you chose, Peter, is, is God's got a tender heart towards us. I think sometimes, again, because of the way that authority figures have related to us where they've been so busy, you know, that we think God's out there creating new planets and new <laughs> worlds. And, and we're this little spot, you know, here on Earth that he just barely has time for. And, and you know, Psalm 139 is very different as we read that, it's a great passage just to meditate on, to get some glimpses of God as a father and how one of the places it, it talks about how he knows all of our thoughts. And I mean, just think about that for one person on one day, and yet how he amazingly knows all of our thoughts every day of our life for all of us. And he's intimately equated with us. It tells us he knows how many hairs we have on our head, meaning the several of the gray hairs that were left on my pillow, those got <laughs> subtracted from the count last night. And and he, he is, he's tender, he intimately knows us, so knows what he's put in us, knows the desires of our heart, knows the purpose for which we've been born. It's, it's when we can tap into this, it tenderizes our own hearts, not only towards God, but actually towards other people. Mm, chatting with Dave Burian this morning about the Father Heart of God, lionshare.org is the ministry, it is a discipleship Ministry it helps us understand a little bit more about who God is. And Dave, we just have about 90 seconds left or so, but we're mindful, both you and me, of the Christmas table that is coming. And for many people, that's going to involve holidays, perhaps with an earthly father uh, that is either there or maybe perhaps has passed. And, and sometimes mm-hmm. earthly fathers, the relationship hasn't always been what we would hope for. What advice do you have people for people heading into the Christmas season here? Yeah, that's a great point. And it spills over to moms and brothers and sisters and grandparents. I mean, it's those who have hurt us. And my encouragement on this is is to take the time now to get a little bit on top of it and to be able to say, okay, God, would you just do a work in my own heart? 
And the thing, you know, that I often find, probably you do too, Peter, is the barrier is this thing called uh, unforgiveness, yeah. where it's it's that subtle IOU inside of us to somebody who has said or done the unthinkable to us. And I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not pretending it's easy. But I do want to say that God has made a way. God has made a way. And if we're followers of Jesus, it's really coming to him and just pouring out our heart and acknowledging the hurt, the wound, the, how that's going to get bumped into that black and blue of the soul's going to get touched. And it's going in ahead of time. And, and the thing that, that I have had to do in my life is I've had to acknowledge my own sin of being unforgiving, which starts with repentance mm. and me asking God to forgive me for living a life of unforgiveness. And then secondly, it's going to those tender spots and literally out loud, God, I forgive my dad for blah, blah, blah. I forgive this person for, and then asking him to bless their lives. So I know for some that's a stretch, but it's actually forgiving and blessing. God, I ask that you'd bless their life. Just keep praying that as many times as you need to. And this Christmas, maybe it won't be completely lifted, but it'll be softened. But at some point when you live your life that way, you're amazed where it's like, wow, those, those tender spots are gone. So wherever you are in your journey, I just want to encourage you to begin by owning it yourself in repentance, forgiving and letting God give you a new heart for those that have hurt you. That's great stuff, Dave. Say, thanks so much for this, for just being such a good and faithful friend to the program. I wish you nothing but a Merry Christmas. It's been a delight to chat and chat with you this morning, meet you, and, and just all the best to you and your family. Likewise, Peter. Merry Christmas. We'll take a short break and step away for some bottom-of-the-hour news. When we come back for the second half of this hour on Mornings Without Carmen, we'll be joined by Adam Carrington to talk about some of the legal headlines, and there are many, so stay with us. Well, in a few minutes, we're going to be chatting with Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College. I always look forward to that conversation with Adam. And, Paul, there there's some legitimate things in the news to talk about legally here, including the Supreme Court ruling on the Texas abortion law that seems to be part of an ongoing momentum to changing things in Roe versus Wade. And I can't wait for Adam's perspective on this. Yeah, it's going to be interesting because it wasn't the normal—it was on Friday. It wasn't the normal ruling on a law, per se. It's just, okay, can the law exist? Can it be challenged? And— I, I I think Adam should explain it because it is so different. Yeah, it, it is. is so different. It is. It's a really unique thing. And of course, in the show notes that you gave me today, I'm always a little bit of a sucker for what national day it might be. And, and I invite all of you that might be texting in this morning at 877-933-2484, for your opinion on this. It's both National Ice Cream Day, yep. which we celebrated with some friends last night that came over. And we had some version of what was called pirate's booty ice cream Ooh. with three candles and saying happy birthday to her oh, okay. but it's also national cocoa day yeah what, what am i going to pick here paul i don't really know chocolate ice cream oh you can combine them <laughs> of course of course you can that's great well if you want to yes. yeah it's always fun to laugh with you all this morning and so if you want to text in your favorite ice cream flavor for me at 877-933-2484 i'm always game for learning about new ice cream flavors up next adam carrington from hillsdale college will talk about the abortion law If you're like me, you like to get things done. You're the type that's responsible and active. Most of the time, you've got it all together. It's people like you and me who fall apart when our kids mess up. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. Psalms 46.1 tells us God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. 
This is a powerful verse for high-control parents who feel like they have it all together. God is not just occasionally present in our lives. We're not called upon to make things work while God passively stands at a distance. No, He is ever-present, and He is our rock of stability. Are you in trouble today? Remember that you don't have to hold it all together. God is our refuge and our strength, an ever-present help for your family. Want more help from Mark Gregston? Find books and other resources online at parentingtodaysteens.org. Love that music. That means good friend Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College is joining the show to talk about the political headlines. I'm Peter Kapsner filling in for Carmen LaBerge today and can't wait to get into this conversation. Good morning, Adam. Good morning. Hope you're all doing well this Christmas season. We are indeed, Adam. We got dumped on snow where we live in the Minneapolis area. I drove home from Chicago last uh, this last weekend right into the teeth of the storm. Let's just say that uh, I do have a PhD, but people often question my, my mental acumen, my, my intellectual acumen in doing such things, but we made it home okay. So you got hit by it a little bit, did you not? Uh, a little bit, but we have yet to get uh, a really big storm, which my daughter, my four-year-old, is very upset about. She really wants to build a big snowman. So <laughs> right. we'll, uh, we'll, 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 so, so her, her, her priorities may be a little out of kilter with the rest of the driving population, but <laughs> we're, we're, we're st- I'm sure we'll get our fair share by the time the winter's over. I love it. Well, I watched with uh, great interest. I'm sure many people that are part of the Faith Radio Network have been watching as well what's going on with what's a pretty significant sea change happening in Roe versus Wade, and I know you comment on this regularly on Mornings with Carmen, but we did see that this Texas abortion law that has some pretty unique twists to it related to to personal lawsuits and in other parts to, to somehow uh, maybe keep the, the abortion law in play where doctors don't want to practice it anymore. What, what are you seeing? The, the Supreme Court ruled on this, and it was pretty interesting. Right, and I think that still the ultimate... Uh, vehicle, you could say, for trying to determine the future of abortion law and what can be done for the pro-life movement is the other case, the Mississippi case. What's interesting, I think, about this as far as the bigger abortion question is the court in the past has been very willing to have special rules for abortion, to give the right to abortion special protections that other rights uh, I'd say more, probably more uh, grounded rights uh, mm-hmm. uh, don't get. And uh, I think that this case really shows that that has also changed in addition to the fact that Roe v. Wade itself is under threat. And the, and that's where if someone reads this case, they'll pro- and all they're thinking about is the actual abortion question itself, they might be a little surprised because it says, the opinion that came out, we're not really determining yet whether a, a six-week ban is legitimate or not. Uh, what we're trying to determine is how do you make that challenge and who in particular do you sue in court to determine that question? And that may seem like a really you know, boring alternative to the actual question of abortion, but I would say it's not um, because it gets at two bigger issues. What they're really trying to figure out is, one, how do we make sure that uh, governments can't get around challenges to the fa- idea that maybe they're violating people's rights, mm. which is what uh, the abortion providers claim Texas is doing with a uh, kind of quirky way they enforce this. 
Um, but what the majority, uh, Justice Gorsuch writing the majority, came back and said is, uh, while that's legitimate, on the other hand, we shouldn't make special rules that let the court do things they don't normally do, take cases they don't normally do, to try to just give special protection to abortion. So they're trying to protect separation of powers on the other side. And uh, so I think uh, this is a good sign for the pro-life movement and that it's not giving special protections to abortion. It's also trying to get at, at broader, I wouldn't say bigger, but broader questions of how do we make sure everyone can assert their rights without messing up separation of powers, which itself is supposed to vindicate our rights. So I think that's also the takeaways that uh, you won't get from as many of the news outlets, but I think that's going on as well. Mm -hmm. I saw in passing this weekend, Adam, I'm not sure if you noticed it as well or could comment on it, but it sounds like the governor of California, Gavin Newsom, responded to this Texas law by suggesting he was going to try to, to engage in the same kind of line of argument in terms of the prohibition of guns. Did you see this headline at all? And do you see anything in that? I think so, at least in the short term. I mean, this could be just short term tit for tat. And, and just to remind readers, the quirkiness about the Texas law was they banned uh, abortions after six weeks, but they didn't have any executive officials of the state of Texas enforce it. Which me and normally, obviously, the executive branch of any government is enforcing the laws. They allow private parties to sue uh, abortion clinics to get the law enforced in court. And what that meant was um, uh, private citizens who are pro-life could be constantly watching the abortion clinics, and it's made it hard to sue uh, uh, before the law goes into effect to try to stop it. And what Governor Newsom said is, well, we're we're going to you know, that's been uh, th that's a way we can go after the, the things we don't like or we think are wrong. And so I think that kind of tit for tat might be in the near future. I think long term, it's just going to show that you can kind of play these games to get a law to stay in place a little longer or to try to get around certain judicial uh, uh, lookings at laws. But ultimately, you can't get around the question, what does the Second Amendment mean as far as the protection of the right to own a gun? What does the right to life mean as far as the unborn in the womb? And so uh, while I think short term we could see this back and forth, I think long term it's not very sustainable. You need the executive branch to enforce the laws most of the time, with a few exceptions. And underneath, you have to separate out uh, uh, not just how people enforce laws, but what are good laws? And, and is there a difference in the justice of a law restraining um, uh, gun rights and a law protecting the unborn in the womb. And so that's where I think ultimately this has to go uh, beyond kind of this tit for tat back and forth about the way these laws get enforced. Mm -hmm. I'm talking with Adam Carrington this morning about some of the relevant cases that have been in front of the Supreme Court or maybe ruled on by the Supreme Court. And Adam, another one that is perhaps lesser known than everything within this Roe versus Wade River that we, we keep paying attention to has to do with an argument that was brought up before the Supreme Court last week. And, and it's the future of education for Christians and, and the role of government funding religious activities. So I know we understandably pay a lot of attention to Roe versus Wade, but this one might actually on a day to day level impact a lot more people. Yeah, well, well and, and they're they are, and they're connected in a way because you, you're talking about protecting the unborn in the womb and then you're talking about providing for their spiritual and education and their general education once outside the womb. 
And this this has to do with a main uh, law that was going to give out uh, uh, tax vouchers and other things, tax vouchers for um, uh, funding private schools, but then they were not going to include religious schools. And the big part of this was to try to get children to be able to have these opportunities. And so the, the suit is saying um, that not that, that, that the government has to fund religious schools and religious opportunities, but that if they choose to start funding private schools in general, uh, religious schools need to have an equal play. They need to have equal access. They need to be treated neutrally compared to others. And given, I think, how how many Christians are worried about being able to give their children an education that is biblical, that is gospel-centered, that uh, understands uh, reality as 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 the Bible presents it. Um, uh, these kind of resources are going to be important because not everyone's going to have the private funding to be able to do that, even where they have the will. And how are we going to facilitate the ability to have this kind of education for? Uh, for for children, when the public school alternatives in some places really are so antithetical to to being raised in a gospel centered atmosphere, so I think that's where uh, the and the court seems very open to protecting that if this funding is there, religious schools should have it. It looks like it'll probably be a victory for them, uh, but it does play into those bigger questions of bringing up our children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Now, it's going to be really interesting to watch that, Adam. Let's step away for just a minute. When we come back, we'll change the topic. It is obviously Christmas time of year, and you have some pretty interesting thoughts from both a Christian and political angle about the Christmas Carol, one of my favorite stories of all time, as well as Mary's Magnificent, this beautiful, humble prayer to God in relation to this newborn king. So let's talk about that next with Adam Carrington on Mornings Without Carmen. Do you want to build a snowman? Come on, let's go and play. Adam, I can never quite figure out what, what, what our music mixer, Double P, Paul Perot, is going to come up with on uh, any given moment. But you talked about your daughter wanting to build a snowman. And he, off the air, said to you, I've got a special one for your daughter. And this is the first time in my four-year history of working with Double P that I was able to predict the song. That is amazing. Uh, uh, I, I will say that it will be a very uh, frozen Christmas, <laughs> since I know my daughter is not... Uh, because she has us reenact, I think, the first 20 minutes of Frozen. Uh, <laughs> well, not the part where the day. parents die, Adam. She doesn't have you reenact well, that part, does she? <laughs> uh, well, I, I, I have to be uh, either Elsa or Anna, but we, we hmm. do the Do You Want to Build a Snowman very frequently. So that is that warms my heart even more than just the, uh, <laughs> the particular words. Uh, I, 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 as a father of daughters, I, I, I role play a lot of um, a lot of fairy tales, and that's that. That's about at the top of the list of uh, of the ones uh, reenacted in the Carrington household right now. Uh, I, man, Adam, if you just posted that on TikTok, you would have 10 million views <laughs> just like that. I'd love to see it. So a uh, Democratic majority, a dem uh, demographic certainty, one of the topics you and I were going to talk about was some of the changing tides politically. And it's been an interesting season in politics in our country where we've seen uh, typically some some more monolithic. We don't want to make monolithic statements necessarily about an entire people group, but we do see that there's some changing demographics in our country, but those voting patterns are not following along in the same way that some sociologists would have broken it down. What, what are you seeing within the, sort of the change of our country? 
Well, as we've seen, especially since 2016, the, the white working class move Republican, the idea was that this would be a greater and greater racial divide, that that was going to be the fundamental distinction, along with maybe a gender divide. And the gender divide has played out kind of according to that prediction. There's a growing, seems to be an ever-growing gap between men and women. The, the racial gap, though, has not quite gone the way people thought uh, at, in 2020. And now there's polling showing even more that especially Hispanic and Latino voters, that their, their working class uh, are moving more and more Republican. And we saw that especially in Florida in 2020. But again, polling recently has shown that I think it just shows that um, on one hand, uh, uh, while we, we do need to be mindful and respectful and even celebrate different cultural heritages, we also shouldn't be too quick to make too many assumptions about what those mean for aspects of American life uh, uh, or, or to assume their loyalty to a certain partisan divide of one way or another. We need to treat them like uh, we need to treat each subgroup uh, like we treat everyone else, which is act fundamentally as human beings created in the image of God. And I think that um, the movement of the Democratic and Republican parties is showing that that we don't just think in terms of race, and that's a good thing, and that um, I think the excesses of the Democratic Party has really made it less and less hospitable to the Hispanic and Latino communities, and we're seeing the results of that. And we'll see, uh, how, you know, how welcoming the Republican Party can be on the other side. That's still a, a very big question. But also whether the Democratic Party, whether they really want to respect uh, the individuals that they've kind of made, probably taken voting wise for granted or not. Yeah, and with so much wrangling that's going back and forth constantly for power, overplaying your hand, trying to assert yourself, Democrat versus Republican and Republican versus Democrat, part of our job as believers is to be anchored in a different kind of kingdom and, and see what the values and responses and, and the heart and the character that we are meant to carry to shine light in this world. And that's part of the notes that you sent to me this morning, Mary's Magnificat as part of this season and how she responded to her social circumstances really can be instructive for us. I think so. And as she's as she's praising God, it's interesting to know what she praises God for, not just that she will be called blessed forever, but that uh, that God is a God of faithfulness to to his people that he is a God of strength, but what has he done with his strength? He has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty, I'm reading it now, from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. And I think uh, what the, the I, I think it's hard not to say that that while those certainly have primarily spiritual implications for the new heavens and the new earth, that they break in in the person of Christ and in the in the institution of the church, uh, even now, and that they break in by the idea that God's strength will not be necessarily to uphold those who are accomplished and proud and mighty by the world's standards. It will be to provide for those in need, the hungry. It will be to um, uh, uh, teach all humility, and that's why even the humble on their thrones will be... Uh, to recognize the kingship of Christ. And I think living in that reality, uh, you know, we're in Advent season, living in that idea, the second Advent, the second coming of Christ, really 
um, should moderate our political pride. Uh, it should it should tighten us in our bonds of friendship with our fellow um, uh, citizens, human beings. And I think that uh, her her mag, you know, she shows that in in showing that God's power and faithfulness will be directed toward those ends, not just in the new heavens and the new earth, but in the breaking of that kingdom here and now. Yeah, I think that's what, so well said, Adam. That is part of what we have to remember in this this time of year is, again, to not be... Now, we can be interested in the political scene, and I know you do such a good job from a Christian standpoint uh, talking about politics, but to, but to remember that our kingdom's coming from a different place. There, there's eternity in our hearts that, that we can begin to celebrate and manifest during this time of year. Right. I think so. And I think that uh, uh, it, it, it's, a, it's a hard tension that we, we see a world that was created good by God that's, been, that's fallen because of, our, you know, our, 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 of Adam, uh, uh, but that is breaking, but redemption is breaking back in. And, and there can be a tendency to do a kind of distant cynicism that, that, that throws off this world. Uh, and there can be a tendency to try to bring heaven to earth now. And one of the great challenges of Christianity is it's not quite either. Uh, we're living in the already and the not yet. Mm-hmm. And and how to wade into those things where we 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 don't give up God's good creation to to Satan, <laughs> and at the same time don't try to become God ourselves. Uh, uh, that th- that takes wisdom, and that takes looking at each particular question and 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 instance and your circumstance. Uh, but it means that however we handle this, we can do so with hope. Uh, we can do so trusting that ultimately it's not in our hands, even as God will use us uh, to accomplish the work that He wants done here here and now. Uh, Adam, thanks so much for being such a faithful friend of the show. It's just so fun to to chat with you about some of these things from a wise and anchored perspective. Wish you nothing but a Merry Christmas. I hope you build a lot of snowmen over the course of December. I, I hope so too. It will make the Carrington household very happy. <laughs> All right, take care, my friend. We'll uh, take a short break and wrap up the show for hour one and preview. It's coming up on hour two on Mornings Without Carmen. Well, that wraps up the first hour of the show. You can catch the podcast at MyFaithRadio.com to miss, if, you, if you missed the conversations with Adam Carrington and Dave Buren. And up next, we'll have Karma LeBurge joining us at the top of next hour. She was scheduled to be out of the office anyway this week, but she has been without power. She's been at ground level of some of these terrible storms that have hit the South. So we'll hear from Carmen next here on Mornings Without Carmen. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.